0: Greetings humans, and welcome to Lefteris Ask Science edition number 8, the podcast where I meet interesting people from the world of science, and ask all the questions I can in order to understand what, how, and why they do what they do. Now things have changed a bit in the last couple of weeks, I changed hosts, and I now have a new website with Captivate.fm, and I'm working on creating a mailing list and some visual aids for each episode of the show. It is a slow process because I'm obviously busy with my actual everyday job, but I'm very excited about the future of the podcast. Now, if you want to help, you could subscribe to the podcast and give it a rating wherever you hear your podcast. That would help tremendously. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Lefteris underscore asks and use the hashtag LefterisAskScience to do so. Now, on with the show, today I meet Ms. Sophia Shanko.
1: I am Sofia Shanko, 40-year PhD candidate at Mechanical Engineering, Section of Microsystems at T Rheinhoven, under the supervision of Professor Jaap
0: Den Her PhD work focuses on high-precision diagnostics, and she is developing lab-on-chip tools to make medical technological systems faster and more accurate. In this instant. When we're talking about medical technological systems, we specifically talk about diagnostic kits. I'm sure, at one time or another, we've all heard the term fast diagnosis or antibody tests, especially since 2020 began. Miss Sophia is dealing with some specific diagnostic devices though. Uh, those devices are called
1: point-of-care devices. The uh, point of care diagnostic devices are used to obtain diagnostic results while um, right next to the patient, right, or close to the patient or at the patient. And so it's it's mainly used in uh, doctor's offices or hospitals or even in patients' homes. And um, those uh, POC devices, so point of care diagnostics devices, give uh, quite fast feedback on many sorts of medical tests. Like uh, for example, there are POC devices for um, testing uh, cholesterol levels, uh, um, do electrolyte or enzyme analyses, or they can test for drugs or infectious diseases. Even pregnancy testing is one of those point-of-care devices. Um, so what we are doing is that we are developing innovative platforms as such as to look into these devices and see if we can do, if we can um, have even faster results. Uh, because especially for some tests which require quite some time, like for example, 40 minutes, you have to somehow um, introduce that within a, t- a 10 minute time slots that the patient will visit the GP, the general practitioner. So the question is, how can we make these devices faster? And this is what, what I'm studying.
0: As you can assume, not all point of care devices are created equal. As technology progresses, scientists and engineers have managed to miniaturize either the test itself or the way samples are gathered. The goal is to get accurate results in the shortest possible time so that the intervention and treatment can begin, if necessary, as soon as possible. While different devices can have different working principles in the way they obtain the results, they have some key requirements that are the same. First, they must be simple to use, Secondly, reagents and consumables are robust in storage and use. Thirdly, results should be in agreement with an established laboratory method. And lastly, device together with the associated reagents and consumables should be safe to use. So now, let's listen to Ms. Shanko talk about the hypothesis of her point-of-care device.
1: Our application to establish this uh, hypothesis, like prove this hypothesis, is a, um, a sensor, which is called, um, it's a biosensor, it's called LUMAPS, which stands for Luminescent Antibody Sensor, which has been developed from um, the group of Martin Merckx at TU Eindhoven. And so these uh, sensors allow for antibody detection directly from uh, blood plasma and the antibodies, for example, against HIV. So there's a specific strain of HIV, the hiv one um, b 17 And so this is my application. And so um, we have uh, the, this um, sensor has been translated into a point-of-care device, and um, it gives results within uh, 40 minutes at a specific setting in the way it is right now. Um, and so the question is, how can I make this faster?
0: How the point-of-care device works can be explained quite simply. You give blood plasma, which is the liquid part of the blood, that carries cells and proteins throughout the body.
1: There is a, there is a sensor already in the cartilage, and this sensor emits in green. So
0: okay.
1: it's a color, colorimetric sensor, it will emit in green. And if the, in the presence of an antibody, um, the, the sensor will start emitting in blue. Therefore, this, this change of color indicates the, the, the presence of the antibody, meaning, of course, the, the, the disease, right? Um, and the ratio of blue over green indicates the, uh, the quantification of the antibody. So you can get even more results uh, from this.
0: There's a small correction in this clip. Uh, Ms. Shanko said blue over green, but later she corrected it to green over blue. This explanation might be a bit simplified, but it's enough to understand what is the work that Mishanko is doing, where she takes a sensor and tries to devise a method to make it work faster. Now imagine a sample of plasma that undergoes a test. You would put that sample on a cartilage, or a sample holder, and if there is an antibody of a disease in that sample, it needs to come in physical contact with the biosensor in order to start reacting. However, if we let chemistry do its thing unaided, that might take a long time to give trustworthy results. Mishanko, for a PhD, is trying to aid that interaction.
1: What we do is that we add magnetic beads, and so they are spheres, they are spherical objects which we place inside the cartridge together with a sensor. And then when um, those magnetic beads, they have uh, very small pieces of iron inside. And if you have magnets outside the cartridge, you can move those magnetic beads the way you desire. Okay. Now this movement of the magnetic beads will introduce some kinetics to the fluid. And these kinetics will increase the binding chances between the sensor and the antibody. So this is what I'm studying. And we actually came across a very interesting phenomenon in our experimental setup, which is that under certain conditions, and by conditions I'm referring to the frequency of magnetic field, because um, I, I will dive perhaps a bit more in detail for this, but I'm afraid I have to. So the, uh, the, these magnetic beads can be moved upon this area with magnets. Okay. And there has been studies that have shown that if you have a rotating magnetic field, so if you have magnets in such a way, um, configured in such a way, so that they, they can make the beads rotate around themselves, okay. um, then in a rotating magnetic field, you have better mixing. We introduce a rotating magnetic field. When this field, when there are certain frequencies of magnetic field rotational movement. When there are certain amplitudes, when there are certain conditions met in our experimental setup, we have a very interesting phenomenon uh, which um, exhibits global collective movement of these magnetic beads in such a way that it mimics the uh, bird motion in the sky, we, we call it forming, but it's flocking of birds, right? So where you see the birds moving to uh, because of thermal fluctuations, we are doing that, but we are doing this with magnetism. And so um, this is very interesting to us. And the reason it's very interesting to us is because um, once you have this motion, the mixing that you get, because we are also quantifying it, because we care about a very well-mixed environment, the mixing that you get is way better than diffusion or different ways of magnetic field actuation. And so this is not only interesting from a research point of view on like why is it they're behaving like that, we we have a hypothesis that there are many forces that take place, but not only why from a research point of view, but also from an application point of view, that we do see that there are quantifiable results of um, a better mixing due to this phenomenon.
0: In the previous edition, we saw something very simple like bubbles in the previous case, or mixing in this case, can be quite complex if one needs to study it in depth. I was curious, how does the experimental setup look like?
1: In our group, we had uh, um, developed an experimental setup which offers 3D manipulation of beads. Now, what I mean with this is that you you can look at the setup in such a way, there are eight magnets which are configured, four of them in a vertical plane and four of them on a horizontal plane. Now, those four work in pairs. Those magnets Um we place that setup under a microscope where we have already placed something like a cartridge. We call it a microfluidic chip. Um, um, So we place all of that under the microscope and then we can control the setup um, remotely via applying currents to the magnets. Okay. Uh, so we have uh, a built-in uh, software program that we can control each of these magnets individually so that we can have more complicated uh, um, uh, movement of the beads inside. But of course this doesn't have to be that complicated because the application is still on the back of our heads, right? And When you have devices like the the point-of-care devices, you're trying to reduce the electronic components as much as possible. (laughs) So I'm sure these would not be accurately translated into a a POC device. But there has been actually uh, applications, there have been products that uh, utilize the same principle phenomenon of using magnets to move beads inside the point-of-care device.
0: In May 2020, in most places in the world, it's not easy to go to the lab at the moment to conduct experiments due to the global pandemic. However, a researcher's work doesn't end, and they're trying to use this type to work from home to either understand theoretically better some concepts, and at the same time maybe even plan future experiments by doing simulation work. So I was curious how Ms. Sanko's work has been modified under the current conditions.
1: In our group, uh, a previous PhD student has built some mushrooms, micro-mushrooms, uh, they are uh, passive magnetic structures, and so they they've built that and what I'm doing is that I'm taking on the work to see on whether those can be applied for mixing and whether the effect would be as good. Each magnetic bead, it will move due to the magnetic force and it will accelerate due to the magnetic gradient. Now, uh, magnetic gradient means that in each location inside the chamber, inside the cartilage, there will be a different magnetic field. We have the hypothesis that if these mushrooms are causing magnetic gradients, the magnetic beads will move faster. And so uh, what I've been simulating is to see what magnetic gradients these mushrooms induce what they cause and uh, by changing of course different parameters within the mushroom like the way the mushroom looks like like the diameter of the umbrella and the, the how long uh, the, the length of the stem and so on by changing the parameters you get different effects now because we care for the strongest gra- uh, gradients um, we 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 know which parameters which physical parameters contribute to that. And so, next thing now is to see how the beads behave in in those forces, additional forces, magnetic forces, due to the presence of the uh, mushrooms.
0: So, the magnetic beads will move in the presence of the magnetic gradient. These mushroom-like structures found around the detection chamber will cause strong magnetic gradients inside the sample, which will lead to faster magnetic bead movement, the question at hand is how does this increase in magnetic bead velocity affect the mixing? So that's the basis of Mishanko PhD work. But it's not all seriousness when you're working in a lab. Sometimes you need to entertain yourself with your work.
1: And uh, speaking of fun uh, in, in science, uh, what I've done is because those mushrooms are like in a circular eye, um accidentally or or not i think it was accidental i i cut the chamber so the the in the center and so i have half of mushrooms circular re mushrooms and so if you do place a magnet there because it will move right
0: yeah i kid
1: you not they look like eyelashes (laughs) 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 <laughs> Don't that, that, was, that was my fun in the lab, where I was making eyelashes and moving them around.
0: <laughs> Sophia is not only a PhD candidate. As if the PhD life wasn't stressful and busy enough, she founded her own startup company on a different diagnostic device. I'm looking forward to meet her again in the future where we can talk more about that. And that's it for another edition of Lefteris Ask Science. More interviews are coming up ahead, and I'm excited to share the things that I learned. I'm very grateful that I managed to do this podcast, because people dedicate their time to reply to my stupid questions and explain what they do. I hope you enjoyed today's edition. If you did so, subscribe and give a rating to the podcast wherever you listen to. It will be very, very helpful. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions, please go on Twitter follow me at leftatis underscore asks and use the hashtag leftatis asks science to do so. Until we meet again, take care, keep learning and be kind.